But when you make it personal, when you make it specific to that person who can actually make a decision about you, you are truly enabling them to disrupt their own thinking. Hi there, I'm Kelly Tennant, and welcome to The Platform Podcast, where we get real so you can be well. Each week, I sit down to have authentic conversations with the leading voices in health and wellness to help you detox your life and give you the tools to feel your best and most vibrant self. My guests are here to educate you on the latest healing remedies, ancient wisdom, and alternatives to the traditional path. I've personally curated the platform to elevate your mind, body, and spirit. Before I launched the platform or had anything even figured out, I started emailing the incredible people I had on my list. By the way, that's over 200 people long and has been building over the last two years that I really wanted to interview. While I was on leave from work before officially quitting my job this spring, I was reading books trying to stay connected and be inspired. I read Disruptors by Dr. Patty Fletcher and I couldn't put it down. Patty's ability to explain how women can help themselves to the top how to support each other along the way, how we're limiting ourselves from massive success, and what a sacred tribe looks like is emotional, eye-opening, and humbling. She tells the stories of women we can all see ourselves in, and those who we want to be like. I was so honored to sit down with such a game changer and talk about how we can all be better for ourselves and use our voices and power for good. We even got to talk about the spiritual connection she has with the women in her family who have passed, but continue to push her to tell their stories and carry this torch for them. Find Dr. Patty at drpattyfletcher.com slash disruptors. And please enjoy this. Thank you so much for doing this. <laughs> I am so I'm happy. I'm so happy. So I don't know if Heather told you, but... Um, I was on leave from work for five months and I was very sick and I was making this huge transition. I was about to quit my job and move on. And I read Disruptors and it was such a game changer for me. One, it brought me to tears multiple times. Okay, now I'm going to start bawling. (laughs) And two, it was just so inspiring because I've worked in sports forever. And so I worked with men and it's a very difficult industry. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure you've heard a lot about it. Even people that aren't in the industry understand it. And so to move from that and want to work with women so badly and to have your book as a resource and as an inspiration and all of the incredible people you talk to, I was like, this is the best thing ever. So thank you for that because it it truly did change my life. And it it got me off the couch and made me realize I wasn't the only one and that I could do it too. And I could disrupt too. And I think that that is just, it's so powerful and so special what you've been able to create. Thank you. Thank you. I'm so honored. Thank you. Yeah. Wow. That's exactly why this book was written. Mm -hmm. Exactly. When you set out to write this, and I know you've worked with so many incredible women, Mm -hmm. what went through your mind in terms of your own experience that this was the, the message that you wanted to relay and to this group? There was so much. I mean, and I think it probably makes a lot of sense to kind of start from the beginning, mm-hmm. right? So I was raised in Massachusetts on the South Shore, very conservative family, very, very conservative. My parents were typical baby boomers, right? Mm-hmm. And they were, um, it did not come from wealthy or connected families. So they were very fear-based and everything. And I never quite related to that. I never quite understood that I'm supposed to have a place in this world Mm -hmm. and that place was defined by this box. Never, never got into that. My mother was a working mom before working moms was a thing Mm -hmm. and she would come home every night and she'd still be the one to make the dinner. She'd still be the one to clean the house. Dad ruled the roost. Mm -hmm. One of the things my dad and I used to do together besides watching the Bruins play. And I was supposed to be a boy and be named after Derek Sanderson, one of the Boston Bruins. Yeah, yeah. A big disappointment when I showed up. Sorry, guys. Yeah, exactly. But it was so funny. They kept all this, like, gear that people bought for them. My mother was pregnant, like a Derek Sanderson sweatshirt. I have so many pictures. But anyway, the other thing my father and I did, would watch. we'd watch the news every night. We'd watch the local news, and we would watch the national news. And... It was just a given that I was going to replace these people on Mm -hmm. TV. But one of the things that I remember so distinctly, my dad, the father of three girls, was when they would show protests. 
and it would be women fighting for women's rights or whatever. But the women fighting for women's rights, probably because I was a female, he would say things like, if women wanted equal rights, they can open their own damn doors. And it would just annoy me, you know, yeah. just really annoy me. And so I grew up with this understanding that feminism was about men or women. Mm. And of course, I always wanted to be for men, women, right. right? Because I was one. But I grew up with this understanding of that. And the truth was, I am more of an and person. And so there I am growing up, and I'm not questioning things like, why am I the only woman in this room, right? Whether it was grad school or it was at work, I grew up in enterprise tech. And, and it just, just never occurred to me at all. When I was in my 30s, I had two little kids. I was flying around the world, right? Fancy job. And I decided because um, every hour of those 24 hours was taken up that I would go back for my PhD. Mm -hmm. And I went back because my mom is a working mom. My grandmother, her mother, used to watch me every day. And she was a refugee from the um, um, genocide, the Armenian genocide. Mm -hmm. I didn't know she was a refugee until later. She was so fascinating to me and so interesting, so different from my dad. Yeah. So fascinating. I never really knew anything about her. Everything I knew was what my mother told me. I knew the year she was born, where she was born, that she was orphaned in the genocide, but I didn't know anything else, and it really bugged me. So there I was in my 30s. Nana had been dead for like years and just... I couldn't stop thinking about her. And so I decided to go back to um, get my PhD so I could learn how to research like a scholar. Fast forward, I was about a year into research for my dissertation, which was focused in on transformational leadership, virtual environments, high-tech industry, whatever, super geeky and awesome. <laughs> and um, so at the time, we were doing lots of net new technology, and we had like never seen each other, mm -hmm. the, the work that I was doing. So anyway, so I'm forced to take this feminist leadership theory class. And I'm like, oh, dear God, right? Like, just check off the box. Yeah. And the first day that I was there in that class, I will never forget being like, oh, my God, I'm actually the dumbest person in the world. Because I didn't realize until then that, yes, in fact, I was the only woman. And when I looked around me, when I looked above me, I didn't see any women. That's just the way it was. That was my unconscious bias. So that was point number one. I decided to do a little bit more digging and ended up just scratching a whole year's worth of work for, for my dissertation proposal because I wanted to find out about women who had achieved something. Mm. At the time, the research was very low when it came to women in high-tech industries, so life sciences and right. technology. Um, I ended up being able to interview the majority of women who had public board positions. I wanted to find out the factors that got them there, right? Mm -hmm. Those characteristics where so few people have gone. And at the same time, I was learning about my grandmother. Mm. And I was learning about her background, about how all of the decisions in her life were made for her. Um, when she was six months old, she was put into a bureau drawer um, for her mother to protect her. She had a sister who was about eight or nine who was hidden somewhere in the home. Um, her father had already been killed when my great-grandmother was um, pregnant with her. My great-grandmother sent her older daughters to church, the, the brothers or her sons to the mountain to like hide themselves and um, sacrificed herself, distracted the, the soldiers. And so the legend goes that she was quiet the whole time. And when she was 19, you know, just lots of stuff happened in between. But when she was 19, she was able to immigrate over here to the United States only because she was put into an arranged marriage. She would not be a, a ward of the state. And unfortunately, my grandfather was not a very nice man. Mm. So the reason I never knew anything about my grandmother was I truly believe when she was six months old in that bureau drawer that she realized that the only way to stay alive was to be quiet, right? And so here I am learning about these women who have gone where so few women have mm -hmm. gone. And these are women, normal women, right? They yeah. weren't the the, um, the Harvard, the Stanford's, so sure, a few of them were, but they came from families just like mine yeah. with history so similar. And I thought, okay, so here I am just realizing that why are things the way that they should be? Here are these women who have 
grew, grown these platforms who use their voice. Here's me with a mouth that I can't seem to shut, mm-hmm. right? Just from the fact of the year I was born, where I was born, all of those things. And then I come from this legacy, my, my grandmother, my, all of the females on my, my mother's side, she's my mother's mother, who had to be quiet. They never had a voice in their own world. And I had to find out more. And that's where the book was born, really, was from that. And trying to figure out the question of, what makes it possible that women have so much power that they have a voice, but they're not in power? Mm-hmm. And we just accept that. So I don't know what you believe, but I believe firmly in generational trauma. Mm-hmm. And so you carry what your grandmother went through. Yeah. And unless you break that cycle or you break that trauma, it's going to perpetuate and continue. Mm-hmm. Is that something that you felt that this was almost your legacy now, that you had to break that for the future generations? Yeah, so so there was my grandmother, right, six months old. Her two older sisters, they were 13 and 14 at the time. They were the ones who were, their mother sent them to church to pray. The soldiers would burn down the churches knowing that there was one door in, one door out. So there are these young girls in a church. The church gets burned down. They they run out of the church, right? Because you're either going to stay in there and die or run out. And these soldiers captured them. And they said, okay, so um, you can either marry this Turkish general and his brother, who were in their 50s, by the way, um, and will give a chance to your siblings to stay alive, um, or you can die. And so they chose to do that. And, and Armenians are very Christian. Mm-hmm. You know, They believe they were the first followers of Christ. Mm-hmm. So they had to renounce the religion, which was awful and terrible. They were allowed to bring my grandmother with them and raise her for the first few years of her life. And um, it was so hard to piece together this information. But what I've gathered is that the the two girls essentially, you know, they got pregnant multiple times. They raised my grandmother with their their sons. Um, And when she was about five, um, she was going to be sold off to somewhere. And at the same time, the second oldest um, daughter, my grandaunt, was going a bit crazy. Whole story around that. Um, So money was sent over from a brother who lived here and scurried them off. The whole like crazy Hollywood kind of movie thing, getting them to a refugee camp to join the family members who made it, who didn't die along the march, Armenia to Syria, from Turkey to Syria. And from from there, you know, just kind of trauma after trauma. Not one of these women... Not one of them, including my great-grandmother, right, had a voice in their lives. And the more I learned about it, and then I would kind of look at my mom's own life. And she definitely progressed further, but she was in a very traditional marriage, Mm -hmm. right? And I witnessed her not making decisions, even though she was contributing to the household. She made the same amount of money, pretty much, as my father. And I thought... Is that going to be me? Right? I'm so connected with, with this more than my sisters, with that family, and especially the women. And it was really interesting. I had gone to Sedona right before my last fellowship for my PhD, and I was carrying all of this with me. And on the one hand, I felt such guilt. Mm. Who the heck am I to yeah. have such a wonderful life where I can do pretty much whatever I want, right? Married a great guy, willing to stay at home, two healthy kids, you know, all that fun stuff, doing really what I wanted. And at the same time, I come from this family who suffered so much to get me here. And then I thought, oh my God, what if everything gets taken away from me just Mm -hmm. like it did with them? And I thought, I have to redirect this. Like, I have to do this. I can't fall victim like all of these women before me, right? Like you said, that Mm -hmm. trauma. And so here I was in Sedona and I'm going for this massage and the woman who was massaging me, I don't know where she came up with this, but she's like, your grand aunt is here. And I had no idea at the time like who this woman was. And she was saying, you know, just you're not here to fix anything. You're here to tell our story. And I'm like, oh my gosh, that path laid out before me hasn't been defined yet. I don't have to right the wrongs that someone else did in the past to my family. I do have to right the wrongs from here on out. And it was just incredible. So it's, I mean, it's been everything, you know, in the book, right? I always reference it. But just something in those words that she said to me kind of lifted the weight off of my shoulders Mm -hmm. and the guilt off of my shoulders. And quite frankly, the fear just totally disappeared. But I completely 
completely believe we are informed from where we've come from. There's actual science yes. around that, right? It's literally in our cells. Have you, this is totally not where I was going to yeah. go, but since you mentioned it, have you tapped into that voice of your great aunt or had communication with family in that way since then? Yeah. So it was interesting. Multiple things have happened, which now people can be like, whoa. But um, so a, a few different things happened. So I was... Nana has always been part of me, and she, you know, she dressed like she was from the old country. Multiple layers, um, just didn't really groom herself, right? Mm -hmm. Very kind of peasant looking. I always thought she was beautiful. And um, and just, you know, a typical abused spouse. Um, Cut off from her family, very sad, didn't say anything, all that stuff. So I had this dream. September 11th had just happened. I felt a tremendous amount of of guilt Mm -hmm. um, for not being where I was supposed to be that day um, and therefore saving my life. And um, again, kind of, you know, worried about the rug and started thinking about my grandmother and so worried, right, about her life and would my life end up like that? And was it always about suffering? So I go to sleep that whatever night it was. And I had this dream that my husband and I were going to meet my grandmother. She was flying in on a plane and we were able to go to the gate because she was so elderly. And there was all this ruckus going on in the plane and everyone had deplaned, but she didn't come off the plane. And there were airline people like going into the plane, like, oh, we've got to solve this terrible problem. And so two of them had come out. They were talking with each other, two of the flight attendants. And I'm like, um, you know, I'm waiting for my grandmother. She's probably in a wheelchair. This is probably what she looks like. Is she on the plane? And they're like, there's nobody that fits that description, but there is a woman on there and she is mad and she is right. And I'm like, okay. So Chris and I, my husband and I waited a bit more. And all of a sudden I see this woman coming down the, the, the jetway and, or whatever it is, right, the thing to come and see us. And she's in this, like, floor-length mink. She has this gray hair that's flowing, and there's this guy behind her in, like, this camel-colored coat and, like, this fedora and carrying all this Louis Vuitton hard luggage. It was totally random. And she's coming closer, and all of a sudden... I see that it's my grandmother. I see it's her face. It's a bit plumper. She was she was tiny. Mm-hmm. It's a bit plumper. She was much taller, standing taller. She was so glamorous, all the jewels, and which she had none of this, right? right? And she just hugged me, and it still just gets me. Where she said, "Everything's all right. Mm-hmm. It's always going to be all right. Mm-hmm. I'm home. Everything's all right." So that was the first thing, and it just was like, "Wow." Yeah. And then. Um, When I had had, um, after my second child was born, I remember it clearly. It was in October. It was Saturday Night Live, the night that um, Ashley Simpson got busted for lip syncing. It was also the night that the Red Sox beat the Yankees and turned the series on their first series after that. So, like, the night was so clear. And I'm in my my daughter's little tiny room in her little tiny house, and I'm trying to feed her, and I'm kind of— when you're going through the newborn stage, you're like a Navy SEAL, right? You can't believe how much (laughs) you can operate without sleep, right? I had a little one at home. So I'm kind of like in and out. And the TV was still on probably to like a law and order marathon because that's what you do at like Mm -hmm. 2 a.m. And um, and all of a sudden, like this woman was like, hey, snap out of it. And like, look over here. And I just, these women come into view. They're on this old-fashioned settee. There's four of them and they like none of them have like feet that can reach the ground they have these old-fashioned dresses on their hair is back they're clearly armenian i have no idea who they are until i look at the end and i see this tiny little woman who's like a little bit further back she has this really proud look on her face like i'm with these women and it was my grandmother and i'm just fixed on her and the woman again this woman was like scooch scooch for a really plump little cute woman and said i'm talking to you and you're not doing your job and you've got to stop procrastinating and you have to write our story and it was crazy about a year later um, we had discovered some photos that had been hidden away, and it was, <laughs> this is crazy, my great-grandmother and two of my grandmother's sisters, and they were those women. And the one who was like, you know, hey, knock it off, like, pay attention, you know, get off your butt, was um, my mother's Aunt Elmas, my great-aunt Elmas, and she was, like, apparently the one who really kept the family together. She was the one who was hidden in the house with, with my mm. grandmother, never had children of her own, mm. although now we found out that. Unfortunately, she did, but yeah, back over in the old country. But it was so crazy, and stuff like that happens. And whenever I get off track, 
these things come to me, whether I'm making it up in my mind, that's, that was just a little crazy, right? Because I'd never seen pictures before. But I know there's just something in it. I believe it because mm-hmm. I feel so connected to it. Mm-hmm. And it's really just kind of kept me on track, yeah. right? That I am here absolutely to kind of be the voice for people who can't be the voices for themselves, right? And that book is a great example. These are powerful women, mm-hmm. but they're not in Lean In, mm-hmm. right? They're not the 1%. Yeah. And, and I don't agree with Lean In anyway. But it, it's like, I, I, I get it. Like, this, this is how I enable the next generation. This is how that doesn't happen again. And it's hard for me not to think about that now with two little daughters and everything going on in the world mm-hmm. and the lack of women's voices in the world. It's it's pretty extraordinary. Well, and it's amazing that you have this this tribe of women from the old country that are saying we couldn't help ourselves to the top then. Now we're going to do it through you. You are our channel to do that. And that is the theme that you talk about throughout Disruptors is how women have to help themselves to the top and help each other get there. So how do you, you, you weave this in so beautifully throughout, but how do you explain to women how to do that on a daily basis. Yeah, how to lift as they rise. Correct. Yeah, it's such a good question. And I, I do have to say, one of the things that I hear a lot from women is, you know, Patty, I feel terrible. I'm not helping the sisterhood, mm-hmm. right? I'm, I'm going after my own promotion or my own raise or that awesome new job. And my message to them is, trust me, mm-hmm. when you're doing that for yourself, you're helping the person behind you, whether it's a woman or someone from another underrepresented population. And Lisa Ling's story is yes. such a good one, it right? Is. Where her boss had given these male colleagues who were not performing as well as she was this wonderful opportunity that she didn't get because that unconscious bias was there. Mm-hmm. And you know he's thinking differently mm-hmm. now that, that she corrected him, yep. right? That's amazing. On the, the thing about lifting yourself up, it's so important that we understand that nobody gets to the finish line alone, right? I talk a lot about that in the book. And the reason that's important is the majority of, let's say that not everybody wants to be the CEO, Mm -hmm. right? Or the chairman. And it almost doesn't matter. First, you define what you think success should look like and you go get it. But you're never going to get to that finish line alone because we live in a world of people, right? And it's truly not about what you know, although that's very important to women because of how we are conditioned Mm -hmm. around intellectualism. Um, And it's not about who you know. It's, in fact, who knows you. And so the best thing you can do is look forward. Where do you want to go? Who are the people who are already there? Look at your LinkedIn. Look at your contact list. Look at the people around you. You don't have to find the person who has the answer directly to get you there, but certainly people who are directional, right? And what you're going to find, it's not, women tend to think of that as pretty transactional. It's not. These are people who like the same stuff you do. You're going to have a mutually beneficial relationship. Mm -hmm. What's going to happen? You're going to turn these folks into advocates. It's so important that we as women stop getting mentored if we have more than 10 years of work experience. It is so condescending. Men get advocated for and championed. Women get mentored. Ooh. Yes, it's a big. Yeah. It's a, one of the biggest differentiators. Mm-hmm. And so being able to create advocates and champions, someone who says, God, that project looks amazing. I know this woman, Kelly, she would be perfect for it, right? Really putting someone else out there. What ends up happening is that as you find people who do that for you, you start doing it for other people. And trust me, the best leaders are the ones who identify the next generation of leaders. Mm Everybody by now knows to be a leader, you don't have to know everything, right? That's why that competency thing, it's important, right? You need to be able to hold your own in the room, but it's not everything. Leaders truly are the ones who are kind of bringing it together. You have a vision, right? Like a disruptor, there's a status quo. It no longer serves the world. You have a new version of a status quo. When you are disrupting a status quo that other people are successful and we are seeing that today and what happens, they're going to come at you, right? Because you're threatening them. They are a world of or, not a world of and. You and I can be successful at the same time. It's fascinating, right? (laughs) The system doesn't just have to look one way. It can look both ways. And so as a woman who is, is making her way up, it is so critically important that she pays attention to the doors that she needs to open for herself. Mm -hmm. We tend to 
take ourselves out of a room or not even look for a door into a room because we've been told it wasn't there for us, mm -hmm. right? That it's not even an option for who we are. Look at my family, right? My mother never knew that she could be anything other than a secretary. Mm -hmm. And there is nothing wrong with that. But my point is, she was told what her choice was, yeah. right, based on who she was. And when you start doing it for yourself, again, you're making it that much easier for the person behind you. But it is so important that we help each other because of that leadership piece. And here's the thing. We're in the fourth industrial revolution, right? The third industrial revolution was all about automation. We saw that. Like, Amazon took over the world, Airbnb, that's awesome. Now we are all about digitalization. And digitalization has brought us from the automation mindset of how do people interact with machines? And those of us who have been in the corporate world know how very painful it is to interact with the machines that are around us. They're not very people-friendly. We're essentially inputters and, and receivers of a process. That mindset has shifted completely to be all about how does the machine interact with the people, whether you are an employee, a customer, a supplier, all of those things. The challenge is if you do not run a business that understands that and caters to the people, there is a problem. Mm -hmm. You're going to go out of business. It truly is going to be the differentiator according to the World Economic Forum. We now live in a world that is so highly diverse that diversity is not an option. So if you are only hiring in people who look like you, think like you, talk like you, you're not going to be able to have those machines or those interactions that are so very human because you're still in a one-size-all-fits mm. world. So as a woman who's advocating for herself and for the rest of the un underrepresented population, starting with women, trust me, what we do for women does help with other yes. populations, you are essentially growing the next generation of leaders, because if you don't, they're going to go somewhere else, right? For the first time ever, we have five generations in the workforce. In the United States, by 2045, there will be no one race in the majority. I mean, it's unbelievable. Women are 50% of the workforce, right? Yeah. Like, we could literally go on and mm -hmm. on and on with the diversity. For women to be able to be inclusive of themselves and others, that changes everything, and it gives you a pretty amazing shot in that fourth industrial revolution. Hey guys, a quick pause to ask you for a little favor. Will you subscribe, rate, and review the show? If you send a screenshot to hello at thisistheplatform.com, we'll send you my exclusive master list with tons of healing resources and discounts for services and products. I would really appreciate you taking the time to help a sister out. Reviews are how we get the word out and how we help this community grow, and we can't do it without you. You and I tweeted earlier this week um, because I, I quoted Madeline Albright from yeah, your book. Yeah, yeah. And she said that there's a special place in hell for women who don't help other yes, women. Yeah. And my question to you off of that is there are women like us mm -hmm. who want to help each other. Mm -hmm. There are also women who want nothing to do with that. Mm -hmm. I always get questions from young girls saying, and in my own experience as well, of being bullied by someone in their own business, yeah. or she doesn't want to help me, or she's mean to me, whatever the case is, what is your advice to them mm -hmm. in dealing with women who are not on that page and trying to hold them back because of jealousy or whatever it yeah. is? Yeah. So it's such a good question, and it's one I always get during a, a Q&A, yeah. right? And, and for me, there are a few different ways that I approach this. So this book, as you know, you know in here that I'm very clear on, is the challenges that we have, right? Women make up, uh, God, let's see, like I said, 50% of the workforce, more than half of, of undergraduate, more than half of MBAs, more than half of PhDs, we're 70% of um, valedictorians. We are responsible for 80 to 90% of all consumer buy decisions. We have a ton of power. We are responsible for managing 51% of the wealth in this country. I mean, it's incredible, mm -hmm. right? Yet we have no power, right? We're not in power. There's only 12% of CEOs, about the same in board members. Women only get 2% of external funding. And so that really contributes to what's called the queen bee syndrome, right? What you're, what you're talking about. Because we live in a system. We, were, we have this unconscious bias that believes, well, there's only room for one of us, yeah. right? And the women who are there, chances are they weren't very authentic to get there. They looked around at the men who were around them and acted just like them. They worked so hard to get to the top that they have a more commanding control style versus what I had talked about, right? Lifting mm -hmm. folks and, and 
finding the next generation of leaders. If you have worked so hard years, your entire life to get somewhere, and you believe that there's only room for one of you, you are going to fight those people off. Mm-hmm. Like, that's a real problem. So yeah, it exists. I haven't really experienced it that much, right? So I'm, I'm quite lucky, mostly because the majority of people I've had to work with have been men, like, just right. because of the, the nature. So what I say to folks is, first of all, understand the why. Understand that there's a system problem, and yeah. it's been so ingrained, right? So ingrained in us. There's, there's only room for one, not just in women, but in men. The second thing that I talk a lot about for some reason, and it just reminded me, is Mad Men. I love that show, Mad Men, <laughs> right? Okay. So in Mad Men, for folks who haven't seen it, it's the show about this guy, Don Draper. And it turns out that Don Draper wasn't really Don Draper, right? He was born to, I think, a, a prostitute, right? And he was raised in a house where prostitutes live. And um, he ends up, of course, getting drafted. And he is in a bunker with this guy named Don Draper. Don Draper gets killed, and he decides that he does not want to lead his old life. So he takes the guy's dog tags, gives him his, and and there he goes. And he becomes this incredibly brilliant ad man, Mm -hmm. right, on Madison Avenue, hence Mad Men. And he was so good at helping companies orchestrate a new conversation around their brand, just like he did not like where the conversation was going about his life and orchestrated a new Mm -hmm. conversation around his life. At the end of the series, spoiler alert, we see him on this cliff somewhere in California, you know, the suit's off, he's not as perfect, and he's like, um, right, you know, he's (laughs) meditating, because he realized the narrative that he wrote for this new life of his was not the narrative he wants. Mm. So when I hear that story about what do we do, I say, change the freaking conversation. I am so sick and tired of seeing really no other way to call them, but cat fights in Hollywood, right? On reality shows, women fighting with each other for that one position. We can't do that anymore. We have to bring out stories about the women who have helped us. Mm -hmm. And you know what? If you're going to keep knocking on a door and being upset because this woman won't help you, there's the problem. Mm -hmm. Go to someone who will. There are plenty of folks. And that does mean that you might have to leave what you're doing. But the, the thing we have to realize when it comes to disruption People do not change when you tell them to. They change when you enable them to, Mm. right? And so if we can't enable someone to change, to see that it's part of her role, she has no catalyst to do so, you're not going to be able to change her mind. She's not all of a sudden going to be like, I'm going to help you. Because she's so worried about her own position. You go to the person who is enabled to change you and has a reason to. You enabled a woman to change when you were on the plane with the woman in the Chanel suit. This was the best story. I mean, you tell so many good stories in this book. This was, I was like, wait, what's going to happen next? Wait, what happened? And then you just mic drop. And I'm like, yes, I wish I could have been a fly on that wall. So much fun. Explain to everyone who hasn't read the book what that conversation was like with the woman in the Chanel suit and the way her mind was blown that day. You know, it's so funny. This is a story that was not even going to be in the book. Wow. Yeah. And it's become like one of the things that I've realized on this, this kind of book tour yeah. is it's my like number one greatest hit. It? It's hilarious. So it's funny. like being a musician. <laughs> so essentially, I was coming back for some, you know, trip across the country. And I typically don't talk to anybody on a plane because, mm-hmm. you know, you just kind of when you're on, you're on and then you yeah. want to be off. Right. So I sit down and I'm in coach and I sit on the aisle seat. There's a guy in the the window seat and he starts chatting. He had just come. He was a management consultant, super cute guy, young. And he had just come. This client he had was a winery. They were closing the winery down. They had all this wine and they decided to drink it. So he was feeling pretty good, right? And I was just enjoying the show. Yeah. And so we're like, oh my God, please, 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 right? Don't let this middle seat be taken up. I knew he was going to pass out at some point, right. right? So I just let him go. So it's like they were like, it was so just like a movie. It was, you know, they were about to close the plane doors. We're high-fiving each other. I'm moving my stuff <laughs> under the, you know, the middle seat. Oh, life is great. And, um, and then all of a sudden this woman comes in and, and it was hilarious. It was like, just so funny. So she truly was in a Chanel suit. Mm-hmm. She had a Prada um, like briefcase and a Prada bag. And I'm just like, and we were the only empty seat, right? So she gets in there, which was hilarious. I don't know why she wasn't in first because of how awesome she looked. Yeah. But I mean, she was exactly how you picture her. The blonde bob, you know, the pearls, everything mm-hmm. was perfect. And so she sits down and I just, 
like, I don't know what my problem was. I decided to talk with her, invite her into the conversation. I was trying to be polite. She wanted nothing to do with either Mm -hmm. one of us. And then, of course, he passes out and my TV's not working. And so I decided to talk with her and asked her what she did, told her what I did. And it turns out she was, I think in her 50s, um, she had worked for a, she was working for a very large technology company, a company I'd done a lot of work with, a company that's um, externally very supporting of women internally. That's not what they practice. Mm-hmm. We see a lot of yeah. that. So anyway, so she was like so many women with this unconscious bias of if I work hard enough, right, I will get there because it's equal opportunity. Mm-hmm. And so her, you know, I told her what I did and she, her response, I didn't ask her anything about it. She's like, I've never experienced anything like that. Right. And again, I, as I say in the book, I was bored. My TV wasn't working. So I decided, bring it on sister. <laughs> so I just am casually and, and, you know, this is such a weird thing to say, but I know I'm not Jesus Christ. I know I'm not going to convert the unconverted, yes. but I, you know, wanted to understand because the truth, I'm not kidding when I say sincerely, if she was a woman who had been in the workforce for over 30 years, which she was, and had never experienced any of those challenges, I I truly had to know her, right? right? I mean, come on, I would write an entire dissertation about this woman. Please prove me wrong right now. Yes, exactly. Like, tell me what to do. (laughs) So I'm asking her questions and it comes out that she had just come from this internal, like, big company meeting. And this big project that she, it was her idea, she made it all happen, was the big announcement. But the problem was her name was never attributed to it. The thing took off. Her boss, who was a, a young white male, gave it to these two other guys who worked on his team who were also young white males. And those were the names, right? Those were the names that the senior vice president, who was a woman, had announced to everybody. And she started getting really pissed. And it was like I watched her where she literally was like, oh, oh. And then there was no stopping her. I am not kidding, Kelly. Like, it was a six-hour flight. I was supposed to be sleeping. And she just went off. And the conversation really went to, she was so upset. She was so mad. And she wanted to do something. She wanted to react. And she had plans. She was going to march into that SVP or EVP woman's office. She was going to tell her boss. She was going to make sure everybody knew that she was the one. And the truth is that works against you as a woman. You got to let it go. Make sure you understand the system and never let it happen again. And yes, the next question I always get is, did you stay in touch with her and what has happened? (laughs) And we did. We connected on LinkedIn. She had transferred to another part of the company. I just, I just kind of knew, you know, once you have a bad experience somewhere and it hits you at Mm -hmm. your core and she was there for years, like decades, saw people getting passed over. I mean, it all came out after that, right? The, oh my God, I'm a statistic too kind of realization. And no matter how hard I work and smart I am, it doesn't matter. Those doors are always going to be closed for me. Um, And the EVP woman, she was the one woman, right? So she was transferred somewhere else and she ended up going to a smaller technology company and she's thriving. She is so happy. And in a world where 77% of human beings say they are unhappy, how wonderful is that? Mm. That she is happy in her life totally, not just Part of her life. You mentioned that, you know, she wanted to go run in there yeah. and say, what the heck? <laughs> right. Whatever it is you yeah. want to say in yes. that yeah. anger yeah. moment. Yeah. In there. Yeah. Is there, I guess, her generation versus people in their 20s, yeah. maybe? Yeah. Is there a difference in the way you approach it? Because you come from, I've been working in this industry for 30 years and I probably have a little more power than, say, a 25 year old young woman who may be new at a company, doesn't have as much leverage. Is there a difference in the way they approach that? No. <laughs> so I, the Lisa Ling example is such a good one, mm-hmm. right? Women have to tell data-based stories mm-hmm. and know and understand that the person they're going to, their boss or their boss's boss, what's the data that matters the most to them? So in Lisa's example, it was all about ratings. It was about a show, mm-hmm. right, a series. It was all about the number of viewers and then, of course, the number of advertising dollars, right, that that the, the series brought in. For this woman, it was about innovation and it was about the sales, right, mm-hmm. the revenue on that innovation. So the speed to market and then how the performance was. And so being able to go in and really come at this from a system perspective, right? So 
the thing that's really important to understand about disruptors is just kind of revisiting what is a disruptor. It's somebody who sees a status quo that's inefficient, it's ineffective, it doesn't serve the world in which it lives, and you can't not do something about it, right? You can't not change it and create a new world. When we look at the workforce, the diversity that we talked about, we know it's not an option. We know that we need to move from this system of or to a system of and. Okay, great. Totally get it, right? And if we don't do it, then then there is a problem. Mm -hmm. So the way that you disrupt a system like that, that says, if you are a white male and you look like this, and now in the Silicon Valley, it's a male who can be Indian, a male who can be um, Caucasian. Those are the the two things, right? We, We see them in entrepreneurs now. We see them in VCs now. Then you can never be in this box. You will be passed over. You just don't fit, right? You just don't fit. And trust me, women in their 30s have something to worry about because there's something called the motherhood penalty, whether you're going to have children or not. And we can talk about that later. But the the point is to be able to go like Lisa did or like Stephanie Buscemi, who's also in there from Salesforce, right? Mm -hmm. She tells her story about when she was very young, just starting her career in her 20s. She was in enterprise software sales, and um, they were having an account meeting, this this team of, she was, of course, the only woman. Um, they were having an account meeting for this client, and the one of the account team members, this guy said in front of everybody, why don't you wear that sweater? Because that will seal the deal. And so she, women have this tendency to internalize, right? We think it's our fault. What did I do? What did I wear? You know, for that woman, I watched her do the whole gamut. You know, how, what should I have said something, blah, blah. And so what Stephanie did and what women who are in their 50s, their 40s, their 60s, their 20s, my God, girls who are in school, right? Not even in the workforce is learn to neutralize, to go back to what's really going on okay, we need to land this account from Stephanie. We need to be able to get another series and and prove its worth in terms of viewers and and advertising dollars Mm -hmm. if you're Lisa. And again, with this woman, we talked about that. So find out how your performance is, not only with those measurements that that person who actually has the power to make change, Mm -hmm. right, understands and quite frankly is motivated by because that's how they keep their job and get their bonuses and how you are performing next to your peers. Mm -hmm. And you go in and you have that same conversation. Help me understand. Help me understand why. Mm -hmm. Just help me understand why. And what you see is a person just start talking about it, right? And the, the, the issue that we have For so long, there have been multiple research reports, and they're still doing them, and I just want to scream, that prove why I should be in a boardroom or not, that prove why you should be in the C-suite or not, because we're women. Mm. Women make all the difference. Those kinds of data points are not specific enough. Men will tell other men, and then it matters, Um, but you know, we've been banging our heads against walls saying it, it doesn't matter because it's too hard for somebody who lives in that system, who's thriving in that system to see a causation, mm-hmm. right? They, they don't even think it correlates. Mm-hmm. I think it's a coincidence. But when you make it personal, when you make it specific to that person who can actually make a decision about you, you are truly enabling them to disrupt their own thinking. Mm-hmm. And again, they will question how they make decisions. When it comes to unconscious bias, the only thing that disrupts it is literally at the point of decision, mm-hmm. right? You, have, you get interrupted because otherwise you're making lots of rote decisions. And that's pretty much what happens in our system. Yeah. You're going to get passed over. So yeah, the conversation's the same. And the years of experience in most industries, absolutely what matters there is that the people who you know, that you've been there before, that you know you can do it. But it's ultimately the same problems that we face. The challenge with women is that we will continue to face them. It doesn't, it's not a one and done. Chances Mm -hmm. are the boss is going to do something else, right? right? Or the colleagues are going to do something else. We have to keep repeating it. And that's where the frustration comes in. All right, just a quick break to talk about today's sponsor. I love tea and I'm all about routine. So... This morning when I woke up, I walked out into my kitchen and I made this beautiful resilience turmeric elixir by Bija Bar. And in case you're wondering, it's spelled B-I-J-A-B-H-A-R. Their founder, Anjali, makes this amazing elixir in Brooklyn. So I was so excited when I got to meet her and try her products and I fell in love immediately. She sources everything from Hawaii Nothing is ever boiled, and she does this incredible job of blending it with all these tastes, lemon and black pepper and maple. 
It's highly anti-inflammatory, so you guys know that I'm trying to heal my body from within, which means I'm only putting things in my body that will allow my immune system to calm down, and Bijabar is definitely a staple in this house for that. If you go to thisisthepatform.com slash shop, you can use the code KellyT for free shipping on your own Bijabar, and I highly recommend checking it out. It's absolutely delicious. All right, back to the show. want to get into politics because that's not what the show is about. (laughs) (laughs) And admittedly, I'm not in the political world. Mm -hmm. But in terms of what's happening now, you look at Me Too, you look at most recently the whole Kavanaugh situation. I think a lot of times what we see is that women, and whether you're a feminist or however you want to describe yourself, women are pissed. Yeah. And so we become aggressive. Mm -hmm. So we step out of our femininity and the grace that men are used to, and we become more masculine because we're like, nope, we got to get our way now. Mm -hmm. And this is how we're going to do it. How do you manage staying in your feminine grace Mm -hmm. and being the woman that you are and Mm -hmm. the mom or whatever it is, but also being fierce and powerful Mm -hmm. and speaking and making change? Yep. It's such a good question. And it's a unique question, which I'm just so happy you asked me. What we know, what our own experience tells us, and what research shows us is that women are dinged if they're aggressive or too assertive, right? Mm -hmm. We see it in performance reviews. We see it in how women are treated as leaders. We see it in the news versus how when they're feminine, it also works against us. We literally can't win. Mm -hmm. What can we do? Like the saying goes, you got to be yourself. So if you are more feminine in how you express yourself, you just stay that way, right? Nicole Sahin is a great example in the book. She is, very, like most of us, she has both male and female traits. I know my reaction, probably very much informed <laughs> by my, my ancestry and where I grew up, is anger, mm-hmm. quite frankly. Mm-hmm. But it's intelligent anger and it's it's intentional anger. And I know enough because, you know, you kind of grow up in sales early in a career and having to pitch so many ideas that have required a ton of money that you start going back to what are the things you care about and you use that, right? Great. With Nicole, Nicole Sahin in the book is, is she's incredible. She um, started off in the more investment side of the world, um, was an early uh, employee for a great great investment firm that um, she made a lot of money in and kind of did a little semi-retirement to figure out her next big thing. And she ended up founding this company with her own money, no external funding, called Globalization Partners. And they have created a new category within an industry. They help companies set up, immediately set up shop all over the globe, American companies. Now they'll help other Western companies. Usually takes, you know, at least a year to kind of get all your visas and whatever. Mm-hmm. So, so they do that. It's wonderful without having to have a, a big capital expenditure immediately or waiting too long. And she's always dealing with men, right? Always. But she is just like you. She is absolutely gorgeous. She is powerful and she is so feminine. So it really comes down to what she says, the data that she uses, and that she backs it up with action, Mm -hmm. right? It creates trust, it creates loyalty, and she never forgets who she is. Mm -hmm. Now her company, it's the uh, sixth fastest growing company in the U.S. She's won every single award out there. Like I said, they're defining markets. They have been profitable for a quite a long time. I mean, it's, it's absolutely amazing. She did it on her terms. So it really does go back to if you are more feminine, then be feminine, right? right? Who cares? You're going to get dinged anyway. If you're more aggressive, then be aggressive. You're going to get dinged anyway. The important piece there is that you're fighting with someone against something, Mm. right? And don't make it personal. That's a lot of the mudslinging now is ridiculous Mm. because it distracts us from the system that does not work, right? And the, the hearings were just such a good example of the stuff I talk about in the book, mm-hmm. the systematic thing around decision-making, which is why women tend not to be invited into a boardroom because we make decisions differently. 
So Nicole, she's a CEO, right? She has this incredible company. They're in, like, I don't know, 148 different countries. It's, you know, some pretty hard decisions that she's had to make. And she is relational in her decision-making. And that's Dr. Carol Gilligan, the founder of Feminist Leadership Theory. That, that first day when I was in that class, I learned about her and I realized it, feminism is about men and women, not mm-hmm. men or women, but also that the constructs of our society of business, of industry, of government believes that making decisions successfully looks like a hierarchy, it's rules-based, and it's based on justice. And therefore, you go from A to B. Very clear cut. Mm -hmm. And then there's Nicole, the CEO, who says, wait a minute, I make decisions in relation, right? So if I do this, what's the impact on those customers, this supplier, these employees, that thing I just invested in? It's a totally different way of making decisions. She's feminine in that way, right? Mm -hmm. Just amazing. And absolutely not to get political, but just looking at the Kavanaugh hearings. We saw that, Mm -hmm. right? We want a decision. We want to go from A to B. We are done. And then we saw folks, and these are traits. It's not every woman's not 100% female trait. Every man's not 100% male trait. But what we saw was a lot of the, the pushback, the this isn't right, around relational. If we do this... How does it impact that, right? Just such an interesting clash of decision-making. And lots of folks think that Carol Gilligan was saying it's an or. You either have this decision or that decision. Lawrence Kohlberg is the one, the six stages of moral development. That's where the justice Mm -hmm. and all that stuff came in. He only used, and this was in the 1950s and 60s, he only used male, white male participants for his research. She was a PhD student working under him, and she went and did her the same exact research, but with women. Kohlberg, her mentor, right, during her um, her PhD study said the way men make decisions is superior to the way women make decisions. And then she found out how really women made decisions and no. And of course, again, we see the research that how women make decisions actually mm-hmm. pays off financially. But the challenge there is our system is based on Kohlberg, not on the and. Yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. Something you brought to light for me in this book was your explanation of the word empowerment mm. or empowering. Yeah, yeah. And I'm all about go girl. Yeah, you know, yeah. I want to help all my sisters. Yes. I say empowerment so much. Mm. It was in the open of the show, which I just changed because of you. So it. thank you. <laughs> thank you. But I want you to explain to people why saying let me empower her yep. is not helpful. Yes. Yeah. And, you know, you had brought up before about how are you informed in like every cell of your being from your ancestors. And that's why that word pisses me off so much. Right. And, and so empower essentially means I own your power. I will give it to you and therefore I can take it away. As a transformational leader, somebody who creates large scale change for a living, I don't believe, like I said, that you can point in somebody and say change, because really what you're doing is taking their power away. Mm-hmm. Nobody owns your power. Nobody owns my power except for ourselves, right? Therefore, I don't want to own anyone's power. Our job as leaders is not to give someone power and take it away. It's to enable them to leverage their power, mm-hmm. to create the change, to live the life that they want to lead. We give you the tools. You actually have your own power. Mm-hmm. Go harness it. In that same breath, how do you help women find their own, um, I guess, get rid of insecurities and find their own power and step into that and be comfortable in that and know that they have it and it's no one else's to give them? Yeah. So I love that. One of the, um, when I think about the question, that's really what we're talking about is ego, mm-hmm. right? Internalization. I'm I'm not feeling good. And that word confidence is an interesting one. There are two other words besides empower um, that bother me. And um, I'm, I'm red yeah. marking them <laughs> yes. right now. Don't worry. I'll never use them again. <laughs> yes, exactly. So um, one of them is equality, right? Mm-hmm. Words matter. I'm a writer. I'm yes. a speaker, right? You get it. You're a speaker. Mm-hmm. So equality is really assuming that everybody's equal, that my path from A to the finish line is the same as his path from A to the finish line. And the truth is, as a transformational leader, you know that that isn't true. You have mm-hmm. to meet people where they are, give them what they need, enable with them with what they need in order to get them to where they want and need to be. That means 
equity, right? So understanding that everybody has a different journey. Everybody has different doors that are open to them. My path's a lot more filled with potholes and closed doors and barriers Mm -hmm. than the typical white guy is, right? So that's one word. The next is the word confidence. And it's important. Women are told that we need to be confident, right? The fake it till you make it, which then leads to imposter syndrome. I don't hire somebody for their confidence. I hire someone for their competence. I hire disruptors, people by their very definition who do something for the first time. Confidence comes from having done something over and over and over again. And as women, we are hired for our experience. Men are hired for their potential, Mm. right? It's a very big deal. So we're ultimately saying only confidence matters those doors aren't open to me. So really important that one, she understands that. And that two, she learns how to neutralize. She sees that this is a system issue. This is not a person in the mirror issue. And then the next thing I share with her are the women who have gone before her, women who have achieved these crazy just successes of their own definition, you know, at the top or wherever they they want their lives to be. Women are transformational leaders who are women, right? Disruptors who are women are purpose-driven. They are not ego-driven. So saying, you know, kind of what's wrong with me or I don't have the confidence, take yourself out of the equation. What is it that you want to achieve that you can't stop at nothing to be able to make this impact, not about yourself, Mm -hmm. but about that change you want to see in the world? And then think, what do I have to bring to the table and what do I want to bring to the table a year from now? Mm. And how do I leverage that to be able to grow that opportunity to make that impact? Notice my job is to just go work and make it happen. Go make friends and go make it happen. It's not about proving myself. I am sick and tired of living in a world where women have to constantly prove themselves and therefore not be human. Be that queen bee, right? Be all about the transaction and the information versus what you can actually do. And again, fourth industrial revolution, that's important. So that's what I tell her. But the truth is, I hear that from very senior women too. They're in the boardroom for the first time. They're in a very executive position for the first time. That's going from a leader to an executive to a very senior executive. It's a different world up Mm -hmm. there. It's a lot of this and less of that, right? So it's just important that you remember to be purpose-driven and to know you have a role and to not believe that you have to solve the whole problem. Yeah. Why is imposter syndrome so prevalent? Because we are told, right, that fake it till you make it because really it's only your experience that matters. And like I had said in the, the, um, the epilogue in the book, this was really written so that we know that we're not alone, mm-hmm. right? I, I thought I was the only one with these Armenian ancestors who women were not treated well. I've been, my life has been opened up to in this entire community of amazing Armenians who have really been behind me and supporting me and lifting me up, and it's amazing. But they all have the same shared history. Mm-hmm. I look at the technology world. I thought I was the only one getting passed over, the only one during my childbearing years who was color-coded in pink and therefore not given any big projects because being in pink meant you're probably going to leave at any time, like at the drop of the hat. Um, so imposter syndrome really goes back to we're hired for our experience and we are told only our experience matters. Mm. You have to neutralize that. You talk about creating a sacred tribe. Mm. And I love that so much because that has been my mission this year after leaving a male-dominated field and reading about this in your book now twice (laughs) and understanding the power of that. And it's not, these are my friends, let's hang out. That's all great. And it can become that. But it's creating this mastermind group of powerful women that help each other on the next level. So what does your sacred tribe look like? Um, I have a few of them and I'm really lucky. And it's something that I've always kind of had this personal board of directors around me, even when I was like in kindergarten. Mm -hmm. I remember just kind of having people around me, which makes me sound really narcissistic now that I'm saying it out loud. (laughs) It's okay, we understand. (laughs) People around me to help me get, right, to to where I wanted to go. Because growing up, I grew up in a pretty typical kind of working class, Mm -hmm. all white um, area where the boys who played sports were the ones who mattered. I was this chubby little girl with a big mouth, right? So I I knew I needed some help from my friends. (laughs) And and so that, that was great. But that was just for me, right? And of course, I would help them, but it wasn't, like we all wanted different things. 
I have this tribe here in Boston. Nicole Sahin is one of them. Miriam Kristoff, who's also in the book talking about tribes. Those two are actually the, the ones who put this tribe together. Mm. So the one in Boston, we're all at pretty much the same level. We're kind of the next generation of, of leaders coming up in Boston. Boston is a very old city, right? Mm. Lots of old money here. And it's so funny when I look at this tribe, none of us are blue bloods. Mm. None of us fit that bill. We're all from, I'm not from somewhere else, but so many others are from somewhere else. And it's really important for me at this point in my life to be surrounded by women who are either where I am or kind of going in the direction. And I don't mean all the advocacy work. I mean in their lives, in their careers, Mm -hmm. right? Going from this big to being this big. And that's what the tribe looks like. We are across multiple industries. Some of us are CEOs and board members. Some of us are investors. Some of us manage other people's money, right? And we're across just multiple um, diverse settings, and we all look different. Some of us are in education. And what brings us together is that common around, okay, how can I help you? How can I help you? Who can I introduce you to? I have had more bookings. My gosh, the biggest book party ever launch party was because of one of the women there, right? I get women in the media all the time. We're just constantly going, how can I help you? Mm. The other thing that's wonderful about this group and my friend Pamela Reichman, who wrote Stiletto Network, amazing book. Um, and that came out a few years ago. She talks about the, the new power tribe. Over on the West Coast, she spent a lot of time with some women who are wonderful, some of whom are in my dissertation Mm -hmm. research and in the book. And they get together every whatever, and they look at a woman who might need their help, and they say, how can we help her? And that's been the same thing with this tribe. We invite other women in. How can we help you? It is such a personal satisfaction to be able to be part of making someone else's dream and impact come true. For me, that's very selfish and and fueling. But that's what these women give to me and what they allow me to give to them. That's so beautiful. It's wonderful. I want to read this part from your book because this it's the end. <laughs> and this brought me to so many tears yeah. both times I read it. And I want people to understand, I mean, you've explained it so well, but truly what this is about because I think this is really powerful. It says, I want to leave you with that image, a woman who spent a lifetime thinking she was alone. When you fall, when you break, when you feel like there's nothing left of you, I want you to know that you're not alone. There are thousands, millions of us out here just like you. Don't go through life believing you're the only one who struggles with the things you do. Don't believe that your burden is yours to bear alone. Don't believe there's no one out there who understands. Don't believe that your dreams of changing the world or charting your own path aren't worthy. Don't believe that you lack the power, the knowledge, or the strength. You're not the only one. You go on to say, ask and it shall be given you. Seek and you shall find. Knock and it shall be opened unto you. Welcome to the tribe. We've been waiting for you. Thank you for that. Thank you. It's really amazing. Thank you. I appreciate you. Oh, I appreciate you too. <laughs> and welcome to the tribe. Thank you. <laughs> Isn't she amazing? I could have sat down with her for days asking questions and getting guidance. I just love her messaging about how to help other women and how to teach people about gender equity and what it means to be powerful yet graceful. If you haven't read Disruptors yet, I highly recommend it. You'll find so much inspiration and beneficial information in there. Head to drpattyfletcher.com disruptors. In just a few days, I'll have another inspirational conversation for you here on The Platform Podcast. See you soon, and thanks for listening.